Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. It is Monday. Uh, the whole circuit of media days is over. Training camps at a lot of places are going, and that is a great sign. We have a lot to talk about. I just got back from uh, Big Ten media days in Indianapolis while I was there. Something we, I think, had expected, and our colleague Max Olson had been reporting on for months and months. Colorado is going back to the Big 12. We're going to dig into that, what it means for the Pac-10. Pac-10, is that right? Pac-9, what is it going to be? Pac-9 now. Yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll get into that. We're going to get into a story I did that came out today on Michigan that I think will people will be interested in. It started out on this podcast about somewhere when you were in Italy, Stu, when uh, our friend Ari Wasserman was on the podcast doing his R, a star, I was going to say his Ari Matters thing, his <laughs> stars matter um, mantra and how it relates to Michigan. We'll get into that. Um, but obviously let's get into the, to the big, the big deal of last week, which is the big 12 and Brett Yormark made another huge move. Is it a huge move um, in your eyes? Well, so people have been, you know, asking or saying for the last few, there's a lot of people, if you, I've been living in realignment junkie world, right. For the last year where, you know, this, this possibility was always there. People who are maybe following a little more casually say, wait a minute, Colorado has been terrible in football for the last 10 years, at least. Why is this, why is, why is the big 12 doing this? Well, mostly two, two reasons. One, obviously, they hope that it's the first domino to fall and that they can get more Pac-12 schools with Arizona being the, the, the first up, I think, on the uh, they're on the clock. But also, having lived through this for the last two years, this is a big W in terms of conference pride. This is a conference that has been picked apart over and over again, going back to when Nebraska left and when when Larry Scott almost got half their schools, right? They've, they've spent the last 10 to 12 years as the conference that was always on the, on the brink, right? Like, oh, if, if Texas and OU ever leave, they're done. And then Texas and OU left. Everybody assumed they were dead, myself included. I didn't think they were going to break up, but I thought they were going to become a much diminished conference. But if anything, Brett Yormark, well, go back to Bob Bullsby. I think he made excellent choices in the, in the four schools that they added. Brett Yormark comes in last year and really outmaneuvers the Pac-12 in terms of getting his TV deal done sooner, even though it goes, the current one goes a year longer. So just the fact that they got a power five school, any power five school to join the big 12 instead of the other way around is a huge win. Uh, even if Colorado continues to stink. Now, obviously there's a lot of excitement around Dion. As we've seen at The Athletic, you can't write enough about Dion in Colorado. People can't get enough of it. But, you know, he hasn't coached a game yet. So Can I um, clarify something for you? You said Colorado has stunk for the last 10 years. Colorado has pretty much stunk for the last 20 years. It's not 10. They've had one, two, three winning seasons over that stretch, but only two winning seasons in conference play in 20 years that is a long time and there is a bunch of dud seasons in there and so they're 27 not, 27 and 76 in conference play since they joined in the pac-12 abysmal but i think you know there's been a lot of interesting reporting on this 
And one of the things that like caught my eye, Ross Dellinger, our friend who uh, is now at Yahoo, had pointed out that a big driving force behind Colorado's move was the desire of its football coach, Deion Sanders, to play in a league whose footprint includes Texas. Right. To me, I get it. Dion, I mean, anybody who's around Dion is captivated by him. Here's my read on this, though. Deion Sanders, if he does really well, and it wouldn't surprise me if he did, I suspect, it's my hunch, he may be gone in two years from there. He's totally overall on the roster. They were a one-win team last year. Maybe they go to four or five this year, and then maybe they get to eight or nine, and then I think he bounces back somewhere closer to either Texas or Florida, or, you know, where he's more, honestly, where he's spent most of his time. If that happens also, I don't know how long Brett Yormark is actually going to be in the, in the Big 12 either. But the point is, without Dion, Colorado football is irrelevant. If Dion, and if it doesn't go well in two years, I could see it also imploding. I just, I'd be very surprised if Dion Sanders is the head football coach at Colorado, and this is this is a guess. It's not like anything anybody's telling me by um, 2026. And if that's the case, and you're getting a program that hasn't has been dreadful for most of the last two decades, I'm not sure what it does. Arizona is trending upwards, but like unless you can really destabilize the pack the Pac-12 or the Pac-10 so much that it uproots Utah. Washington or Oregon, I'm not sure like it's going to be in the long game. I could be totally wrong because I've been wrong on some of the stuff. Everybody's been wrong on a lot of the stuff, to be honest, um, that it that it will be entirely viable. Right. Because to me, if you tell me that whatever the old pack, which is the school, the conference that's going to lose USC and UCLA, ultimately ends up trading San Diego State for Colorado. And that's all that happens. Now, maybe Arizona does leave. I had heard, as like a lot of people, that Arizona, you know, this had, Arizona had been doing this dance and now Arizona wants to move. And Arizona mm-hmm. has, you know, they're, they're trending up in football and they're obviously a really good basketball program. But if it ends up being a, some kind of trade-off where it's like, okay, the, the Pac-12 loses Colorado and Arizona and ends up with San Diego State, I don't think that's the worst thing for them. I actually think San Diego State, if you told me San Diego State compared to Colorado, I think that's a win for the Pac-12. I've said all along, if Colorado is the only school to leave, it barely affects the Pac-12. It doesn't hurt their value or anything like that. But we are sitting here right now on on Arizona Watch. I do think it's, you know, so Arizona, Colorado has been the worst Power 5 program besides maybe Kansas which they now have now I'm realizing the big 12 has both of them for, like you said, 15, 20 years, Arizona hasn't always been bad, but since that one year under rich rod, where they made the back 12 title games since that, that was 2014, seven and six, three and nine, seven and six, five and seven, four and eight, zero and five, one and 11, five and seven. I know Jed fish has a lot of momentum. He's recruiting well, but it's not like this. I mean, this is a far cry from, you know, the Big Ten adding USC and UCLA or the SEC adding OU in Texas. But like I said earlier, I think the where Brett Yormark has been smart is he's under no delusion that they're going to be the Big Ten or the SEC, but he wants to be the clear third. And his his strategy in doing that is, first of all, to weaken the Pac-12. I, I don't know if his goal is to end it, but definitely to weaken it. 
And then, you know, you keep hearing, I keep hearing, we keep hearing that, you know, the reason he wants Arizona is because they're good at basketball. Brett Yormark's a New York guy who loves basketball, who thinks of college basketball is undervalued. And if Arizona says no, his next call is to UConn, which from a football perspective seems nuts. No disrespect to Jim Mora. Well, from a ge- geography standpoint, it also seemed nuts because you're talking about the UConn CU game and all these, like for UConn, and again, UConn was kind of left for dead, I feel like, by college athletics about a decade ago. Mm-hmm. But, the you know, UConn to Lubbock, I mean, these are hard trips. You UConn have- to me makes, like Colorado makes sense. UConn makes no sense. But I think that at some point, so he, first of all, he started, you know, way back when, when USC and UCLA left, he started his, what he was saying publicly was we want to, we want to be in the West. Um, we want to, we want to add West coast schools. At some point that line changed to, we want to be national. We want to be in all four time zones. And what I'm, I believe he means by that is the East coast. He's an East coast guy. He wants 14 teams and that's it. I think. I don't know if he has a has it quite that specific. I think that he I mean he's been looking at everybody. He's he he's the king of going out and visiting these schools. He at the end of the day he's not the sole decision maker. His presidents and ADs are, are particularly the presidents. And and before the Colorado move all I was hearing is that yeah, the presidents don't want Yukon. He also wants Gonzaga. And by the way, I think that makes total sense if you're marketing yourself as this powerhouse basketball conference. Gonzaga is about as good a brand as you could add, but the presidents aren't on board with that either. So the the thinking was if he can get uh, Colorado, if he can prove that he can get a power five school, then maybe the presidents will be more willing to do what he wants to do next. But I mean, yeah, I think UConn would be non-competitive in football. They have, they're, they're, they're in a part of the country where there's hardly any recruits playing against schools in Oklahoma, Texas, Florida now, Ohio. I, I think they would be non competitive. Utah. <laughs> I'm not talking just geography. I'm talking like access to recruits. But, but can I ask? But, you what, but this is what, just to be clear the, the understanding right now, and this is happening in real time, could be outdated by the time you listen to this podcast, is if Arizona says yes, they're done. They're done at 14. And I think a big reason for that is. Uh, so the Colorado, they're not losing money because they have a they have it, I think, in writing from ESPN and I believe an assurance from from Fox that they'll get a pro rata. And a pro rata means that if you add a power five school, we will pay you, you know, the same thing we're paying for the other schools. So nobody loses money on it. The school coming in knows it's going to get the same money as everybody else. And that applies to those Pac-12 schools. It does not apply to UConn. Um, so they're not losing money on it. If Arizona comes, you're at 14. There is, you know, we know ESPN is really struggling right now. And even though they agreed to it, I don't think they would be thrilled to have to pay uh, four of those pro rata shares. So I think they'll stop at 14 if they get Arizona, unless there's always an unless Oregon and Washington panic because it's down to eight schools. Now we want in, but Oregon and Washington want the Big Ten. Okay, so everybody knows that you got to set a bunch of stuff. I want to kind of yeah, pick out a little bit. Um, The first thing, look, I get why you know CU if it's weighing Big Twelve versus Pac Twelve, it has it. You know, honestly, it has roots over there better than it does in the Pac Twelve. The Pac Twelve has largely been a dud for them. It's been a dud for them in the Pac Twelve network 
you know, all the Larry Scott ish stuff. And so in that regard, and I do think Texas ultimately probably bodes better for them recruiting than California does. Um, so that part I, I get also, I think there's something, it feels like more of an energy thing. I don't, you know, the part that was a head scratcher to me was, well, it's the, you know, the Dion component of it. It's like, I, I get it. You got to buy all in and all the way. And I, I kind of get what Rick, Rick George's perspective on that. I, I have two things I wanted to, you said that I wanted to, to kind of not push back on, but just kind of push you on a little further. So the first one is the Brett Yormark, you know, feels like college basketball is really undervalued. If anything we've learned and nobody I know is more obsessed with realignment stuff than you have been for the last 15, you know, 12 years or whatever it is. And it is the first wave of realignment was a big um, billboard to be like, hey, you know, all the people who thought about, you know, growing, grew up around ESPN when the Big East was exploding in basketball and March Madness and Dickie V and all this other, you know, great things about, you know, 30 years ago. The reality was college football drives the bus and college basketball isn't really even on it. Um, and so do you think Brett Yormark is overplaying that when you're talking about UConn, when you're talking about Gonzaga? We keep hearing about how college basketball, you know, for a while, a lot of our college basketball friends on the media side said college basketball was dead and it was dying because of, you know, this scandal and that scandal. And the ratings for March Madness, at least, are still, you know, are, are still okay. But the rest of the season, not so much. And then the other thing I wanted to ask, you know, it's a separate thing is UConn is, I mean, sorry, Utah is definitely a much better football brand than Arizona and Colorado and way better, obviously, than, than uh, UConn. Um, if you are them, and I know BYU is there already, uh, but it is a great rivalry that you could kind of embrace, even if it's not, you know, new TV markets, you know, wouldn't that have been a bigger effort? all along yeah okay so those are two very different subjects let me begin with I'll, I'll get to basketball but i think it's first we haven't even said this yet why is this happening right now colorado could have jumped to the pack to the big 12 at any point in the last 13 months it's the tv deal right the the tv deal that keeps getting pushed further and further and further back uh you know a key moment uh, so we had, we were at Pac-12 Media Day, what, a week ago Friday. I want to say two days before that, there was a Pac-12 board meeting. And there have been a lot of Pac-12 board meetings, right, up where he supposedly updates them on the TV deal. But, and nobody ever tells us the details, but I think uh, it's still hazy on the what, the, what they're going to make. So two days before Pac-12 Media Day, maybe three days before, Phil DeStefano, their chancellor, talks to Denver Post. And says how excited, you know, we're very, very bullish on the Pac-12 and we're very excited because I'm very excited to go to this board meeting because I'm expecting, you know, George Klyovkov to show us the numbers, to show us like, you know, where we've arrived at on this TV deal. And then he didn't. There, there, from everything I've heard, there wasn't any details on that meeting. So it was either he was putting him on warning or he knew that was going to happen and that was going to be like they're out to go to the Pac-12. So when you say stuff like, uh, you know, why not Utah? Why not ASU? I don't think any of these schools are interested in going to the Big 12 during this whole 13-month saga. Colorado was always, 
you know, Max, to his credit, has always been reporting that they were the most receptive. Even Arizona, their president, he said a lot of conflicting things in the media, but he he's waited. He keeps saying, I'm waiting for the TV deal. I'm waiting for the TV deal. Based on the comments that Colorado, um, their chancellor and Rick George AD made in the, in the press conference where they announced this, it was entirely about the TV deal. They never, they were very careful not to take any shots at the Pac-12. Uh, but they kept referring to, you know, why are you doing this? They kept referring to exposure. You know, we love the fact that they're partners with ESPN and Fox. We think our student athletes will get more exposure this way, but better time slots. So that means one of two things, either they know what the PAC 12 deal is going to be, and it's not looking good as, and not as good as the big 12s, or they're, they've just run out of patience. They still have this late faith. stage. They've lost faith. Yeah. That, that, that they can get anything done anytime soon. Two, it keeps like every two weeks, it's, it's going to be in two weeks. So that's really what's driving this. And in a vacuum, I think Arizona, Utah, I don't think ASU has any interest uh, in, the, in the Big 12. They've, they've been willing to wait. But to your point, if Arizona jumps in the next two days, um, does Utah get itchy and say, yeah, I don't think we can wait around anymore? Uh, they're one of their rivals. Their main rival, well, BYU, is already Utah in the then, Does Utah then? box out arizona in for if they're only going to go to 14 if we if we believe uh yeah if we believe what there's what we're hearing that they they are only going to go to 14 it's like two two or three even three schools are fighting for one spot but you know utah has been so in the background this whole time it would nothing should shock me anymore in realignment but if it comes out tomorrow that utah's going and arizona's not then yeah, maybe that would be the case. And that would be a value add. Colorado and Arizona on their own are not value adds to the Big 12. They're value neutral. Utah is a big football brand. It's not as big as Oregon or Washington, even though they've had as much or more success. But they're well-known. They, they, um, they're they highly competitive. Like that, that would be a big win for the Big 12. So it's a, it's a, it's a moment of crisis for the Pac-12 right now. Are they going to... You know, I think I, I, from everything I, from all the conversations I had in that week leading up to an app Pac-12 media day, I believe that the Pac-12 members that are not Colorado truly believe they were past the, you know, worries about anybody leaving. The TV deal is close. We keep hearing there's been a lot of momentum. There's been new bidders that came to the table and then Colorado leaves and you're like, well, they must have gotten very good news to your question about basketball. And a lot of the stuff Greg Ormark's put out there, you're like, uh, okay, uh, if you if you say so. And then so far he's delivered on the things he's 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 sold. So give him the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, regular season college basketball is not is not a big, you know, is not you're not getting rich off that. The NCAA tournament is regular season basketball is not. But I think he looks at it as within regular season basketball. Big Big Twelve has Big Monday that does well. I think that he knows they're never going to be the Big Ten or SEC in football, but with with just a couple more additions or maybe even one addition in Arizona, they can say undisputed, we're the best basketball conference. We're going to hang our hat on being the best basketball conference. Is that going to make you rich? I I have my doubts, but he has been uh, he has been very clear that when the next deal comes up in 2030, he plans to spin basketball off and sell it separately. Chances he'll still be the commissioner in 2030. Quite low, but, but that's his long-term plan. Okay. Um, One other thing I think we should uh, just mention is that 
whenever something like this happens, the ripple effect goes everywhere. Um, I, you name the rumor, I've heard it since since late last week. But this went totally under the radar. But Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner, said at Media Day, and first time I've heard him say this, that they're open to expansion, which then led to, huh, if he's open to expansion and the Pac-12 is teetering, and the Big Ten is showing no interest right now in adding more West Coast schools. Is that a possible escape plan for Oregon and Washington? To the ACC? Yeah, there have been... There have you been, looked at a maps, too? <laughs> I have. I don't think you could take just Oregon and Washington, but if you took four Pac-12 schools, let's say the others were Cal and Stanford. All right, so... They, they had their own little West Coast you know where, wing. You know where my alma mater is on the map? And you know where Seattle As, is? Yeah, they couldn't be further apart. But hello, have you noticed that that's becoming less of a barrier? I mean, every, wait, wait, the wait. reason the reason Oregon and Washington, the Big Ten, got so much um, attention last year is because, well, if they were willing to do USC and UCLA, then maybe they're willing to do even more West Coast for, Like, there is nobody close in the ACC to those two schools. I mean, the bulk of the of the Big Ten is not all in the Eastern time zone, right? Like they're, I mean, we're talking about a bunch of North Carolina schools. We're talking about Boston College, Boston College, Miami, and Florida State are all incredibly far away from those two. Like Oregon, by the way, is hard to get to because it's like Eugene is two hours from Portland, right? Is everybody going to be flying, flying private and all these, you know, league games? Yeah, everything you're saying is is who's the furthest west? Pitt? Everything you're saying is completely reasonable, but you're not accounting for panic. You're not accounting for two things: a, the USC and UCLA move shattered everybody's perceptions but of what's possible. A, they have a, we're talking about a huge financial war chest for that league. We're not sure about that with the a, a the ACC Freudian sub AAC the you know, is not that in terms of the money they're bringing in. Also, you would be talking about dividing the pie even further. Um, I just, you know, like, I think I have a lot of respect for both athletic programs you're talking about. Just logistically, to add them in, the travel would be way more complicated than what it is right now. There's just nobody there for them. So let me walk you through the rationale. And again, I'm with you. I don't want college sports to be Oregon playing Miami in the same conference as Clemson or Miami. I want it to be the way it is. But the model is is every there is clearly that there's two conferences that are running away from everybody else. And if you're a team like Oregon that wants to contend for national titles, you're starting to look for plan B, plan C, plan D, plan B. Plan B, well, plan A, I guess. If the Big Ten called Oregon and Washington tomorrow and said, yep, we got two spots for you, even if they said this, we got two spots for you, but you have to come in at half the rate, they would still do it. Like they, that's that's worth it to them. But the Big Ten, I think, now that Kevin Warren's gone, I think they're resetting a little bit. They're realizing, whoa, this was a really ambitious thing we took on. We need to get that figured out first. So I don't think that's an option for Oregon and Washington right now. The if the, closer, if the, if the, you can from, keep talking about geography all you want. It's not part of the conversation here. This is about TV money. TV money can be, how are you going to play these other sport games? 
It's not well, just football game. I, I really wish there that they that college football would just break away. The closest I USC think, and UCLA should be playing West Coast schools in those other sports. But there, but I, again, all these schools that we were talking about in the ACC, they're all in the East Coast time zone. They're not. They're, it's not like there's a bunch that are like in the middle of America. Like the closest matchup, I think, is over twenty one hundred miles, and that's the closest. Seattle to Pitt. Yeah, you don't have to talk me into any of this. I think it's absolutely nuts to even even that this would even be a possibility. You don't play, but it is. But it is a possibility for these reasons. You got to think money. Let the apparently now we'll see. Maybe Colorado will end up looking like idiots once they announce the TV deal. But clearly, they had reason to suspect that the Pac-12 deal is going to be worse than the Big 12s. And by the way, the big. By by the way. They're the, Colorado. You gotta let, you gotta let me play this out. You gotta Colorado let me play to this out. Not far. They are Colorado geographically makes a lot more sense than to me. This should be a non-starter. The Big Twelve deal. You you know the Big Twelve is very happy with the deal they got. It's still forty percent of what the Big Ten and the SEC are getting. If Oregon, who aspires to the national championships, has reason to believe that the Big Pac-12 deal is going to be even less than that, okay. So that's their side of it. The ACC, meanwhile, we know is facing their own crisis in that they, they've stuck in this TV deal with ESPN until 2036. They're making so much less than those conferences now. And unless something miraculous happens, it's going to get even worse. You've got the Florida State AD out there saying, you, you know, threatening if you don't Florida figure State, out a way Florida to make State us more money. Come out half cocked for the last 10 years on this. It's they're saying you got to make us more money or we're going to possibly no, get the out of the grant of rights. Is you can be pissed off all you want. None of these schools have the TV cachet or the TV pull that Ohio State has, that Michigan has, or even Penn State has, or, or USC. You can't wish that to be. Clemson's won a lot of football games. They do not have that kind of juice. They do. They State, do. Pretty, Florida State and Clemson do pretty. Florida State and Clemson do pretty well. Close to Ohio State's do. Nothing close. You're not. It's not. It's not. It's not close. It's not close, we but it's not as far Ohio as you're State. making it seem. We could put on Ohio State against Indiana. Florida State is the most watched program outside the Big Ten, the SEC currently. Now, I don't think they have any leverage. Like, if you try to break the grant of rights 15 years early, you might end up owing them hundreds of millions of dollars. Anyway, what I've been trying to get out for the last 20 minutes, the ACC doesn't have a lot of ways to make new money. One of them would be if you can get more basic cable households to the ACC network, because right now the ACC network is getting jack from the Western part of the country. But if suddenly Seattle, Portland, and let's say San Francisco, let's say they get Stanford and Cal are in it, that's a pretty significant revenue spike. So financially, there are reasons for both sides to do it. Geographically, it's absolutely not so. And that's why I would be I would be very, I would put the chances of it actually happening very small, but it's realignment. And if we've done anything in the last 15 years, anything's possible in realignment. Boise State was very briefly a member of the Big East. San Diego State was too. Anything's possible in realignment. I'm going to let you have the last word on that. That was the last word. my, My favorite phrase in realignment is believe everything and nothing. 98% 98% of what you hear is bunk, it's rumor, but 2% of it could turn out to be real. And we've already seen that 
Like before June 30th, 2022, you would have said the same thing. USC in the same conference as Rutgers, that's, how could you possibly do that? The travel would be insane. And they but went ahead and again, did it. Those are the outlier schools. That's my my issue with, with this other one is those USC and Rutgers are the furthest removed. Like it's Rutgers and USC, but it's not everybody. And I'm not saying the other schools. I'm not saying that Minnesota is, I can drive there in a weekend from here in Los Angeles. I'm just saying that's middle America. It's not all on the Eastern seaboard. Yeah. All of it. It would be extremely impractical. I don't think it will end up happening. Um, and, and, you know, we got to see. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be next week, the week after 2029. At some point, the Pac-12 is going to announce their TV deal. And this is, you know, at Pac-12 Media Day, which was only a week and a half ago, every person you talked to there was very kumbaya. The vibe was very positive and optimistic. We've made a lot of progress on this thing. It's going to end up, I met multiple people, I'd say, if the deal is what you have been led to believe it is, will you be satisfied? Yes. Colorado leaving has cost a lot of doubt on that, but we'll have to see how it plays out. And that is your realignment update for this week. I'm sure it'll be uh, rendered outdated in three days. Something that we didn't even talk about will happen and we'll have to revisit it then. You mentioned it I, earlier. I'll throw one other thing just at you, just for the yeah. whatever. So, and maybe this is this is too anecdotal because I'm looking, you know, whatever. But Clemson and Florida State, two biggest conference, two biggest teams in the conference last year, right? You mean brand-wise? Just they were they were, you know, yes. But they were also they were also like top 20 programs. Yeah, because look, keep in mind for all the, like you said, all the noise Florida State's making. Last year was the first good season they'd had in But they had a good years. season, right? Yeah. When they played and it was in Tallahassee, the TV number for that was 3.38 million. When Penn State That's not very much. Michigan, when Penn State played Michigan, it was double that. That's why I don't think the notion that Florida State and Clemson, if if Florida State and Clemson figured out tomorrow that they could get out of the grant of rights for free, don't assume the SEC would then take them because I don't think well, the, SEC the SEC is, already has the Florida market. Because right. So they get no boost there. And we just talked about, I mean, ESPN, by the way, who wouldn't give them any more money to go to a ninth league game would have to then to, in order for the SEC schools to be made themselves. whole. Yeah. They would have to pay those two. They would have to pay the SEC double what they were Florida state and Clemson. Again, Florida state and Clemson right now for 31 point, whatever million per year. They go to the SEC, that's going to cost them double. So they don't really have a reason to be supportive of that. Um, but I know Florida State in particular and also Clemson are absolutely panicking right now because those are two schools, obviously, that want to be annual national title contenders that don't make nearly the money the SEC and Big Ten do. I would uh, I would just point out that it's not all about that. I mean, for all the panic about that stuff, TCU made the national title game last year making – a lot less than the SEC and Big Ten do. Like I don't, I don't understand this obsession with if we don't make, if we only make forty million a year instead of seventy million a year, we're totally screwed. Especially given the playoff that's expanding is now going to have a spot. Like, let's say the Pac-12 does lose a school this week and is at eight teams and decides to stay at eight teams. I think that would be stupid, but let's say they do. One of those eight teams is going to make the playoff every year. Well, do they end up having this? 
get rewritten now because of the Pac-12, you need to have at least 10 members to be a, to, to have an automatic entry? I don't think they would do that because, I mean, they've already made it. So when they agreed to do six, they made it um, liberal enough, if you will, not politically liberal, but loose enough that for a group of five conference to go. And by, by the way, the group of five, the AAC got, you know, rated of all its best teams. So I don't think they really have a reason to regulate what the Pac-12 has to look like to, to qualify for the playoff. But and if they did, by the way, if they did say you have to go get 10 teams then they would weaken um, the Mountain West or the AAC. And one of those conferences is still going to make the playoff. The Pac-12 can't stay at eight for, for many reasons, one of which is that means that schools would only play seven conference games. How are they going to schedule five out of conference games? in an era when you've got other conferences that are that are playing nine and that are going to 16 teams. And also you would be in real trouble with your TV networks because you just don't have enough games. You know, you just have enough, you don't have enough games to sell. So even though as of a week ago Friday, I was told two schools in the Pac-12, which was at 10 teams at that point, um, were, were opposed to expansion at all. I think everybody realizes after Colorado, they have to add teams. Oh yeah, go get, go get, go get, uh, San Diego State, and then either t- try to get UNLV, Boise, or Colorado State. So SMU would not be your next choice because that's the conventional wisdom. It's I know because it's the SMU. Dallas market, and they've definitely elevated as a program. I mean, I don't know. You, you mentioned one in passing there that that at first glance you're like no chance, but George Kiyofkoff is a huge Vegas guy. I know. Right? That's where he yeah. came from. They've moved their title game there. They've moved their media days there. If it were solely up to him, I think he would absolutely be interested in UNLV. But first of all, UNLV hasn't been good in football, even in a group of five level for most of its history, but at least since like John Robinson was there, maybe, um, maybe even earlier than that. And interesting history, let's say that really interesting history, but, um, and, and, and academics, I mean, it's not me saying it, but it is. The, you. you just said it. You just said academics. I say academics, but I think it's any I've man, said it many times. Light are going to punch it's you. In absolutely the face. obnoxious. Realize they are higher institutions and the presidents make the decisions. I just happen to think that college rankings are, are totally arbitrary. You can get a perfectly good education at any of these places. Look at Boise State. And and oh, and I wrote about this in our realignment. Look mailbag. at Boise State. Now Chris Peterson's going to want to deck you and he sees you. It's not me. I'm saying you, you I would take. Look at Boise State. Look at the predicament they're in. The, they, the Pac-12 could have added Boise State a, a decade ago. The Big 12 could have added Boise State when they did this last round of expansion. Boise State to this day, I think, has the most recognizable brand of any group of five school. I know it's been a while since the Kellen Moore heyday, but they still win 10 games and, and play for conference championships. And not only have they not been invited, these conferences don't even take them seriously because they thumb their nose at Boise State's academics. Boise State's ranked lower in the U.S. news rankings than any school, that any other school you've heard mentioned. I happen to think you can probably get a pretty good education at Boise State if you take the right classes and you're a good student. Let, but, me, let me just say yeah. this. Let me just say this. As a proud as junior a, college person, yeah. As a proud junior college person, you and I have talked about this offline. We know many people who went to prestigious academic institutions who are who are morons. Yeah. So <laughs> let's, I went to a prestigious academic school and it was 
And and in many ways, it was easier than high school if you just picked the right goof off. And we can all and we can also point out many people who went to your school who are proud Northwestern, Medill, whatever, who are idiots. We'll just leave it there. Moving on. Well, hey, who are you referring to? Come on, you know. I mean, you just made a pretty just bold stop, statement just there. Stop, Northwestern just... people are idiots, so you want I'm to narrow that down. To Brian Hamilton, and I'm not referring to Dave Revson. Okay, well, it's not so much. My you my, know, you know that's what I, I know you're talking about, but I think that it's 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 what you make of it. Any school you go to, you can if you choose to take the the most the toughest classes, the best professors. I mean, Northwestern's engineering school. I have lots of friends who went there. is incredibly difficult. If you get through there with good grades, you are um, you are um, extremely good student. I went to journalism school. And frankly, most of being in a journalism major at Northwestern is classes outside of journalism. So I would purposely take the easiest classes because I was spending most of my time at the daily. So again, this is all a long way of saying, I think it's stupid that we're deciding who would be the best for your football conference based on their academic ranking. But it is something that happens. University presidents care about it. And that's why I think UNLV to the Pac-12, I'll believe it when I see it. Totally different subject. Um, you were at Big Ten Media Day. You talked to Jim Harbaugh. You talked to the Michigan players. I feel like Jim Harbaugh is poking the bear lately in terms of Georgia. First, you, you reported that they now have a beat Georgia period in practice, much like their beat Ohio State period. And then I'll let you talk about what, what he said that's in your story that went up Monday. Yeah. So as I teased in the open to this show, um, when Ari was on the podcast a month or so ago, we talked about this and, you know, Ari is so rooted in the, well, this is what the rankings were coming out of high By school. By the way, did you ask Ari, did you give Ari a heads up that you were going to put out an article on the athletic? I did. I actually. Crashing his whole, whole philosophy. I actually did. I called him probably two or three days ago just to give him a heads up. And then I actually sent him the, the lead of the story just so I didn't want him to think, oh man, he's going to, he's going to call me out or, or do something. And, I felt like, and could I could be wrong. I'm curious what you think. Like, I did not feel like I sandbagged him in the storm. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, I don't think you sandbagged him, but he's like, he he's he's like a direct character in the story. Well, he is. Um, but again, this is this is his, I don't know if it's his shtick that that devalues what he what I think he believes. But my point on this initially was all right, I'm gonna talk to actual experts. Who have studied what the roster is now and the personnel not people who looked at them coming out of high school or that and because i think it's a very different picture look our um max olson getting a lot of love on this episode by the way but so max does his re-rank every year four years later and the last two the most the two most recent um re-ranks he's done michigan had a class that was ranked number 22 when it came out and it was actually third according to max in terms of what it became um and the last one you know the one before that was eighth and that ended up as number three in the country as well and so what i wanted to do was especially after ari and i had talked i looked and i was like you know in terms of the t- the, the guys who are actually going to be on the field not all 85 players in the roster um michigan's numbers in terms of like the the blue chip or the the merits of who there's like their you know top you know, 25 are going to be actually rivals what LSU won the national title with in 2019. I mean, there were more 
uh, lower ranked guys on the LSU class on the LSU team of their core than they are on this Michigan team. And, you know, when I, uh, so I kind of, there was a couple other examples of that, that I looked at, but then I was like, all right, I'm going to talk to, you know, guys who've done their games. Todd Blackledge did three Michigan games, you know, saw them in person. Uh, Jake, Butt, you know, played for them, but did, see, you know, did a couple of their games from BTN. Joel Klatt has seen them more than anybody. Brady Quinn, who I'm on the road with Brady's at all these games as well. I talked to Jim Nagy from the senior bowl, who's about in, uh, evaluating these guys, as well as our Dane Brugler, who does a really good job on the draft side. And then I talked to, you know, a couple other people who didn't make it in the story, but also echoed similarly of this. Um, so I was like, all right, I feel like I have a pretty strong working premise of this. And then as I got further down the road of this, um, I went to the media days and I said to, you know, the, some of the Michigan players, I kind of um explained what i was asking about and they kind of gave me their context and their perspective and then i got jim harbaugh and jim harbaugh went further way further than i was expecting and gave me a quote and i was like "Ooh, this is gonna this is gonna get a lot of eyeballs you know i didn't really when he said it at first it didn't quite sink in and then we started talking about it more and the quote was that he thinks they will he was like i bet they break the i bet we break the the draft record that they have and they being Georgia and it's 15 and he thinks they can have 20 players drafted in the next draft. Yeah. That's a eyebrow raiser for sure. Georgia. You see, so you're talking about the Georgia draft class from just two years ago, right? That's at the record. Yeah. So it was that. And then, and, and they were, was it 14 or 15 that they 15. had drafted 15. And he's saying they're not only are they going to break it, they're going to break it by a significant margin and have 20 players drafted. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a huge number, obviously, because, right, it's it's five more. And one of the things he he went through, which is the same thing that Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl had, had talked about, was they have seven guys right now that the Senior Bowl, seven upper class offensive linemen who Nagy said it's unheard of to have this kind of class, that caliber of talent in the offensive line. Now, even if four of those guys end up drafted, and that's still a lot. That is, you know, that still would get them if the rest of the guys pan out, that would still get them way over the, you know, I think that would get them what 17. Um, and that would still break the record. And and by the way, Harbaugh also said there's two guys, two two defensive backs who he thinks are draft or guys will get drafted, but he goes, he thinks they're not going to they're not they wouldn't come out this year. So, you know, it could be as many as 22 in his mind. So there was this narrative, obviously, when Ohio State was beating them every year and, and a warranted narrative that there was this big gap between Michigan and Ohio State. Obviously, that's proven, you know, they've proven that's no longer the case the last couple of years. But I would also say, like, even some of those, you know, less prominent Michigan teams. I mean, if you're going by NFL draft picks in 2017, not that long ago, um, Michigan had 11 players drafted in 2020. They had 10 players drafted. So we're not, we're not, this isn't like a, a you know. But there's uh, a big difference between 10 and 20 still. There is. I also think there, I also think like there's a difference between if you have, let's say 10 players drafted and six of them are in the first two rounds versus you and have that was, 10 players. That was, yeah, that was the Miami. Like for instance, so. their 2020 class had 
a first rounder and a second rounder and everybody below it, fourth, fifth, fifth, a lot of six. So, you know, Georgia, the first impressive thing about Georgia's last couple of classes is not just the total number, but how many of them are going in the first and second rounds. Mm -hmm. The first thing that stands about to me, all this is why you got to go poke in the bear. I mean, they haven't even, uh, they got clobbered by Georgia in the playoff two years ago. They didn't play them last year. They didn't, as, as many people made the same Twitter joke off your tweet about the beat Georgia period. Where When's the beat TCU period? It just seems a little presumptuous to be assuming that you're going to play them, not much less beat them, but play them. So he's poking the Georgia bear. They're only the best program in college football right now. It's almost like he's daring, like if you actually play them uh, to, you know, to give them all the, um, well, rat poison is a, is a thing. What, what's the opposite of rat poison? Bulletin board material. Flowers. <laughs> Bulletin board material. Um, but also, if this is true, if, if, if Michigan has this great um, NFL draft class coming up, I don't think that renders Ari's entire stars matter thing to be moot because there's always going to be exceptions to the rule. There's always going to be a JJ Watt two star that turns into a well, you know, I, obviously I, I five star. I think that's the part though. Like, right. So it's the part that I would always argue with, you know, with Ari or that idea is it's like, well, this can't happen. You know, Ari had sent me, someone had tweeted out something and this was a writer had tweeted out something about like, these are the only teams that can win a national title. And I was like, man, are we really doing this? You know, like, you know, it's like, I get it. We're going to try to speak authoritatively on this stuff. And it's like good social media, Twitter follow, you know, fodder kind of stuff. But the part that, and this is why, you know, in some ways I was like, the Harbaugh stuff is going to overtake the story. But the part I was like set out to really, and it's in the story is the people who've actually seen them and evaluated these players. And the point that I think is the most probably, you know, the subplot of this story is the guy who was one of the five stars, JJ McCarthy. If you look at the four teams that are kind of the outliers of, and, 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 you know, credit to Bud Elliott for his blue chip ratio, because this is part of the thing that, that drives some of Ari's content from this and premise. Um, the teams that were, uh, you know, either the outliers or kind of, you know, um, kind of dancing around the proverbial Mendoza line. There's really four of them in the last like dozen years. And those teams are 2019 LSU, uh, 2010 Auburn, which is actually below where Michigan is by a good stretch in terms of they had a lot of, a lot of three-star guys. Um, the team with, that won the title with Jameis at Florida State and then Trevor Lawrence's team. The one thing those four teams had in common besides not having like, you know, Georgia, Georgia kind of recruiting is that they all had elite quarterback play. Like I would argue the two most impressive quarterbacks I've ever covered in college football are on two of those four teams. One was, was Cam. Cam was a friggin' superhero. And the other one was Joe Burrow. To me, those are the best two college quarterbacks I've ever seen. Then you put in Jameis, who I know, you know, like super polarizing, but Jameis was a great college quarterback. Um, and then the other one was Trevor Lawrence, who was also a great college quarterback. And 
maybe those teams and and look cam didn't have aside from nick Farrelly and nick Farrelly, by the way was a three-star i didn't realize this until i look back at this nick Farrelly, who was the second best you know dominant player in that program by far or on that team was only a three but if jj mccarthy elevates his game to be honestly as good as what the recruiting people thought because he was one of the five stars I, I would not be surprised if this team won a national title. I mean, the people I talk to, you know, whether it's Joel Klatt or or um, or Dane or certainly Todd Blackledge or Jake Butt, they all basically made similar points. They think they are talented enough to win a national title. Um, and it's just like, can JJ, you know, will they let JJ flourish and, and open it up enough where he's got that in the regular season? And then can because you have to win games the way Ohio State would have beat Georgia last year. You know, they had them on the ropes. They couldn't finish the deal. But that's the difference. And to me, that's the conversation we really should be having. Not so much. Well, Jim Harbaugh said this. He's poking the bear. I think it's 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 beyond that. It would surprise me if Michigan wins the national title, not because I don't think they're talented. I mean, to be able to, I mean, we all agree Ohio State's one of the most talented programs in the country, and they've whooped them the last two years. I just think geography. I mean, this is a the national champion has come from the South, not just the SEC, but the Southeast. Every year but one since 2006, Ohio State in 2014, the only exception. And even just like who's played for the national championship. It's even, even, you know, we've had a couple all SEC championships. We had a lot of Clemson versus Alabama. Like, I feel like everybody keeps looking for a way to believe because I want, you know, it's not ideal for college football that that's happening, that somebody outside that part of the country can do this. We haven't seen a lot of proof of it. And in particular, we're talking about a Michigan team that the last few times they've played an SEC team in the postseason, it has not gone well. Um, the last time they beat an SEC team was they actually beat in back-to-back years in Harbaugh's in 2015 and 2017. They beat a couple Jim McElwain Florida teams, one in one in the bowl game, one in the regular season. But obviously did not fare well against Georgia a couple years ago, did not fare well against Alabama in that Citrus Bowl. They lost to South Carolina in a bowl game. Now, if you want to say, well, they're just so much more talented than those teams were. And so, you know, there's that there's that people don't realize it. Maybe they take it for granted. They're automatically dismissive. But this this Michigan team, this 2023 Michigan team is no less talented than, you know, the Georgia team that that's been dominant the last couple of years. Right. Alabama, for that matter. I mean, I I guess what I would say is it's not impossible. So you're basically saying it's, but it's I'll believe it when I see it. Georgia wins a national title, or nobody else wins it. So no, or whoever the or LSU, whoever the best team is from the southeastern part of the country in a given year, which a couple of years was Clemson, which was not SEC team, but because that's where the talent base is. Generally speaking, the teams in those in that part of the country, they 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 hot they, they, they spend a lot of money on their coaches. They spend they they are able to devote more money toward football than most other schools. Michigan does devote a lot of money toward football. Um, they have the fan support. They have, but most importantly, they, they just have the easiest access to talent. And by the way, the you know you referenced LSU a couple of years ago. It's not like every player on those teams is a five star. You no, have a Justin Jefferson. I mean, you have you have outliers. 
but it's kind of like strength in numbers. I mean, some of no, Georgia's handout players last few years have been like, some of their more um, lower rate. It's not like Brock Bowers was a five star coming out of high school. But you, you've, you've, you've couched this. I think the right way to say you'd be surprised or you'd be shocked, and that's a fair way of saying it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the one, the one other outlier to this, and this is something that's also mentioned in the story. Um, the timing of this could be ideal because the one thing, the three teams that are significantly more quote unquote talented than them, Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio state also have in common, they all have to break in new quarterbacks and not only break in new quarterbacks, two of them are, are, you know, having to replace generational quarterbacks who are the top picks of the NFL draft. And the third guy is probably going to have a statue built for him in Athens. So, and if you look back to have a completely new starter, even when Alabama won the national title in 2020, you know, Mac Jones started a, you know, a hand, a bunch of games the year before. So you were breaking in a new guy. Um, and that's not, you know, that's not an insignificant thing, especially when you're breaking in, not just a new starter in two of the places you're breaking in, um, new offensive coordinators with him. I, that's a great point. I agree. Totally. I think back to, you know, you mentioned that Auburn team with Cam Newton, that team had very few NFL players and the Oregon team they played had very few NFL players, but they benefited in part because some of the, the quote unquote powerhouses did not have great quarterback play. So that's an excellent point. I also agree with a couple of the analysts in your story who said, you know, if JJ McCarthy is as talented as we think he is, why don't they use him more during the, it wasn't until the Ohio state game that they really tried to win with him. I think Michigan becomes more, um, what do I say? Like, I think people would be more wowed by them if they didn't seem like a one trick pony where they're just going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. If they're beating people both ways throughout the regular season, then you get to the postseason. It's like, well, this offense might be really hard to stop. I think right now the perception is if you can slow down their running game, you're going to beat them. Obviously Ohio state, got completely caught off guard. I thought in that game last year, just never, even with the injuries to the running backs, it was either they were either completely unprepared or just didn't play well or didn't respond well to the decision to just let JJ McCarthy beat him with his arm. Yeah. And look, I think that was a case where Michigan's really good on the offensive line. Eventually they wore them down. I mean, this came up with Mike Sanders still the other day when I saw him was like, cause we went back to it's the first time I'd seen him since uh, I did a story last winter about like his speech. And I know we talked about this a lot on the podcast at that game to his teammates and how he knew how he felt it and everything. And honestly, he's the least, I say this with respect, the least physically imposing star player in college football right now. He is not a big guy at all, um, but he is a hell of a player. And, but I think that have that sense. And as I think Joel Clapp made a good point in the story, he was like, look, this is the, that was the first game where I think, they won because of him being J.J. McCarthy as opposed to with him. And he definitely has it. I mean, I think, you know, to, for people to, to see it and I like, you know, I think they kind of lump him with, with Cade McNamara, who helped get them to the national title game, gets them to the playoff the first year. But that was the guy that Georgia played. And you know, JJ McCarthy in year two, I think has a chance to be different. Right. Um, mm -hmm. you know, certainly now I'm not saying he can be one of those four quarterbacks. Like I said, two of those guys were generational to me, you know, obviously Jameis won a Heisman and, and, uh, and Trevor Lawrence 
it's kind of crazy to think he didn't win a Heisman, right? <laughs> it is kind of, he's going to go down the, um, uh, you not know, quite with Vince Locke. Young, not quite with Vince Young level, but Andrew Luck, like some of these guys that here's phenomenal college quarterbacks, but they just there was somebody else more phenomenal that year. I mean, Trevor Lawrence's um, kind of peak season was 2019, and then unfortunately it was the same year as Joe Burrow's. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, anything else we want to co- cover? I mean, I, I thought it was um, it was an interesting. Just and again, you didn't ask me this, but I'm going to bring it up or whatever. It's an interesting kind of little change of the guard at in Indianapolis last week at Big Ten because you had both NBC and CBS there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not only we talked about Todd Blackledge, he's now at NBC. Um, I saw, you know, my friends from my old CBS days, Brian Jones and and Rick Neuheisel, and there was a lot of CBS people there. And so just to see that kind of shift. Um, you know, I think it's going to probably I, people, you know, college football fans, I think they respond pretty quickly to it to change, but just to see kind of the shift of the way things are in the league. I mean, it's definitely different to see Matt, Matt Rule and Luke Fickle walking around, um, you know, and and um, I don't I'm very interested to see what this look year looks like, because, you know, quietly, there's a lot of enthusiasm for Penn State. I think about the talent they have when you talk to people around the league. Um, but we'll see what, you know, what it looks like for Nebraska and what it looks like certainly for Wisconsin. I think those are teams people are really intrigued by in the league. The big, t- the TV situation is going to look completely different this year. I'm going to do some promoting here. Scott Doctorin has a story on the athletic on Monday. He talked to some of those executives who were there in Indy uh, a good like primer on what the Big Ten is going to look like on TV this fall. Nicole Auerbach has also has a story go up Monday about some of the travel, how the Big Ten has been trying to solve the logistics of USC and UCLA. I really do think that that all happened so quickly that it was like they invited them before actually doing any thought or planning into like, how do, how does this actually work schedule-wise, travel-wise? Did you see... Um, Audrey Snyder does some stuff that on the Penn State beat that just kind of falls under the radar state. So you talk, these are the things nobody thinks about the runway at the state college airport is not long enough for a plane to fly to Los Angeles <laughs> to the size of the plane that was needed to fly to Los Angeles without having to stop and fuel, refuel for gas somewhere. Um, so they're either going to have to drive to Harrisburg or Pittsburgh uh, or they're going to have to like stop in Kansas somewhere and refuel. So things like that, that like nobody's thinking about that at the time that they make these membership invitations, but, um, good story there from Nicole. Um, I personally have a story coming out realignment related, I believe later this week, I don't want to make any promises. And for some reason, we, it wasn't intentional. Well, a lot of our realignment revisited stories have to do with the big 10, probably because they keep, they keep expanding. Um, that one's coming out later this week. So, and then, of course, a bunch of us are are following every beat of what's going to happen next in the Pac-12, Big 12 situation. Possibly the ACC, though Bruce doesn't want to even entertain it. So keep following The Athletic for more. If there's another, you know, last week we would have liked to have done a, we would have liked to have done like an emergency podcast, but you were in the bowels of the stadium in Indianapolis interviewing people. If something happens this week, Another school changes conferences. We're coming on. We're talking about it. We'll see you next time.